Hi, Josh Sorrell here from Sandhill FWB Church in Sandusky, Ohio. The podcast that you're about to enjoy was given live before our congregation here at Sandhill, and we pray that this podcast will encourage and challenge your walk with Christ. For more sermons like this, as well as additional Christian content, visit our website at www.sandhillfwb.com or check out our social media pages on YouTube and Facebook, keyword Sandhill FWB Church. May God continue to richly bless your journey every step of the way. So we've been trying to learn how to pray. The attitude of prayer. Do we need to learn how to pray? Absolutely we do. And so we, the, we, the Lord, they went to Jesus and said, how should we pray? And he said, this is how you should pray. And this isn't a prayer just to be repeated. You could just repeat this over in just a matter of seconds. That's not what this is. This is, this is a, a pattern. This is a plan to pray. So let me ask this question. I don't know if it's been making sense to you guys. We've been on this three or four weeks. I hope it's starting to sink in. But if we were going to, and we may do this, but we, but this has been done many times in the past, but if we were going to come over and we were going to pray for hours, maybe we're going to pray all night, maybe we're going to have a special time if everybody's going to take an hour to pray, could you pray for an hour? Because you know what most people have? They have their list. Pray for my kids, pray for my grandkids, my wife, my spouse, the sickness in the church, blah, 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 blah. And after you get done with your list, you have nothing else to talk about. So it isn't really a matter of that you don't want to pray. I believe that for a lot of Christians, it's that we don't know how to pray. Right? And so I tell you, we're going to come over and we're going to pray. We're going to pray all night long. We're going to come over and we're going to pray. We're not going to have singing. We're not going to do anything. We're just going to sit down and we're just going to pray. We're going to pray for three hours. Most of you get done with your list in about five, ten minutes and you say, I don't know what to do with the rest of the time. Am I right? And, and so that's kind of the weakness of our prayer. So Jesus here gives us a plan, a, com- uh, a, a way to be able to pray. And we, we've learned that we're going to go and we're going to evaluate God. We're going to see how great he is and what he can do. We've learned then that we're going to understand because he's a great God, knows everything. We want what he has planned in heaven to be worked out in our lives, right? And, and then uh, we learned that after we do that, then we can say, Lord, I got some needs here on earth. Would you, would you take care of those for me as well? Uh, and, and then we move in this morning to uh, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Now, if, if you guys are getting this at all, these are compartments. This is an outline. These are categories. This whatever. But but you get this. If you wanted to come over and pray for an hour, how much time could you take on the category of how great God is? You could pray a long time on that, guys. When you think about how great He is and what He knows and what He can do, and and when you just you just spend time in that compartment, you can spend a lot of time. When you get to thinking about he's got a plan up there in heaven and you want him to work it out in your life, how much time could you spend on that? You could spend a lot of time talking about the plan that he has in heaven you want worked out in your life. And then you get around all, you know, all the needs you have. And, and then this one that we come here, uh, uh, to look at today, uh, to forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Now I've learned a lot studying this. It's, it's really been quite interesting studying this out. And I, I know you are bored with the Greek, and, and I don't understand the Greek, so let me just tell you just a little bit about what this is. But very interesting to me, in the book of Luke, when we find the Lord's Prayer in the book of Luke, he uses the word sin, but here Matthew uses the word debt. Now all the scholars, everybody that I read, everybody agrees this is talking about sin. But Matthew intentionally used a Greek word, that refers to debt. Although everyone knows he's talking about 
Sin. Is that interesting to anybody but me? Because sin puts you in debt. You owe a debt you cannot pay. So Matthew's making that clear in a language that we all understood. He's talking about, not talking about money, he's talking about sin, but he used the term that is, would reference debt because uh, he's trying to get that point across. We owe a debt. So interesting to me that is one of these compartments, I mean, it's not hard. I don't think anyone's going to say, why would he make a compartment about how great God is? No one says that, right? <laughs> we understand. If you go pray, that's a really good place to start how great God is. And it even makes sense that he's got a plan for my life. And, you know, he's got all those plans in heaven. And I want to pray that he would have his will in my life. That that makes sense. And, and I mean, come on, guys, we got to pray every once in a while for some of the things we need here on earth. That all makes sense. But why would he take an entire category to say, forgive me of my debts? Why would he do that? And it's a category, guys. It's, it's, a, it's a compartment we need to, to dive into. So we're going to try and answer. It's not really an outline this morning. It's more seven questions we want to answer. But I believe these are critical theological questions that need to be answered. And I beg of you to pay attention. And again, if you don't understand, I beg of you to study it out. Come talk to me. Write me a connect card. Do something. But we need to get this straight. This will change our lives if we will understand it. So the first place I'd like to start, how do we repent for salvation? Is that an important question? Is that an important question? See, guys, I've preached on repentance over and over and over and over, and not really what I'm going to preach about this morning, but I've preached that so many times of what real repentance is and everything else. But how do we repent? If you're lost and on your way to hell, how do you repent? And I think we really need to understand that. Repentance only happens when we see our wretchedness. Did I change the words on you, Josh? Nope, I did not. Okay, I had a different word there before. When we see our wretchedness. So guys, if you're, you hear a message and the preacher says, if you don't ask Jesus into your heart, you're going to die and go to hell. And you run down to the altar and you think, you know, it's possible I've done a thing or two wrong in my life. And I mean, I need some fire insurance. Jesus, would you save me? Can I tell you, you can go to hell. You can go to hell because that's not how you get saved. And I've talked to a lot of people in this church and I've told them, listen, if you don't get saved, you're going to go to hell. And they would say, well, in that case, I better pray a prayer. And a lot of those people aren't with us anymore. See, guys, that's not how you get saved. Real salvation is when you have a real look at you. And let me just tell you this on the authority of God's word. I love you guys, okay? But every one of you are rotten scoundrels. Every last one of you. There ain't a one of you here. Even my precious grandbabies, they're all rotten scoundrels, right? That's the only kind of people there are. Listen, we're all born into sin. We're all, in the comparison to the holiness of God, all of us are wretched sinners. And until you understand that, you can't get saved. You cannot get saved. It isn't praying a prayer. It isn't going through some uh, ritual. It is seeing that you are rotten and sinful and wretched and in and of yourselves you have nothing good to offer and coming to a holy God and saying, Oh God! Please forgive me. I am a wretched sinner. Do you guys see that? Only way to get saved. There is no other way. Asking forgiveness in words 
only will not save you. Is there anybody here who believes that? Listen, guys, it isn't praying a prayer. It isn't saying, Lord, forgive me. It is opening your eyes and seeing how bad you really are. And we talk about that a lot around here, and I hope that that is sinking in. But listen, guys, we're not good people. Your pastor is not a good person. Your pastor is a rotten, dirty sinner who, without Jesus Christ, you would want nothing to do with me. You would not want to be my friend. You would, not, you would not say he's a good guy. You wouldn't like me. Without Jesus Christ, I am a horrible person. And I know things about me that even Renee does not know about me. And without Jesus Christ, I know what I would do, and it would be horrible. So I am a horrible person, and so are you. And if you get that straight, then you understand why you need to repent. And if you don't get that straight, you're just praying words a preacher told you to pray, and... You're not going to get saved, okay? So once you see how wretched and sinful you are, humility, brokenness, and a desperation are the results of seeing your sin. How can you really see who you are, who the Bible says you are, and come to God with your chest puffed out and saying, God, you're lucky to have me? Not if you see yourself. If you see yourself, you say, God, why would you want me? I know you, I'm a wretched piece of dirt. Why would you want me? Right? It humbles us. Not in a woe is me, not as in I'm a nobody or no, I'm no good. As in, I have nothing to offer God because he's holy and I am dirty sinful. Right? So we have to have that. It humbles us. It, It breaks us down. It breaks our pride down. It causes desperation. Does anybody here remember when people used to come to the altar because they were desperate to find Jesus? It wasn't a nonchalant, casual transaction that I just need to take care of. It was a desperation. God, I'm going to go to hell because I am a sinner. Would you save me? Guys, there's a huge difference between those two. We need to understand who we are, and that will humble us. A lot of talk in our church about humility, a lot of talk about being humble. But guys, can I tell you the best way to be humble is look in the mirror. Have a real honest look. Take your halo off. Look in the mirror and say, oh God, how would you ever accept me as one of yours? Right? That's how we have humility. So, this explains so many professing Christians who aren't saved. Is that too harsh? Is that too harsh? There's a lot of people who say, I'm a Christian. They don't live the Christian life. They're, They're not saved. They're not going to go to heaven, but they say, I am a Christian. Could it be the reason for that is there's a whole lot of people who have come to this altar and prayed a prayer, but they did not repent because they did not see how rotten of a sinner they were. And guys, that that can explain a whole lot of what we see in the church today and a whole lot of what we see in Christianity is we have people who think they're saved, they're not saved, because they've just seriously never looked in the mirror to see their sins. So Josh always tells me, Dad, you have these titles that nobody understands but you. He's probably right about that. And I try to uh, uh, not have just a, because I could have named this, uh, you need to repent, right? That would have been real catchy, right? Or something like that. But I try to think of something that will stick with it. I I try really hard to think of, and I don't have the, I guess, the coolness to come up with a cool title. But here here is what I'm trying to say. Listen, guys, there's only one entrance for salvation. 
We've heard Jesus is the way, but how do you get on that way? You look in the mirror, you see who you are, and you repent of your sin. There's only one way to get into this thing. The entrance is repentance or you didn't get in the way. If we don't come in that gate, we are still lost. Does anybody here believe that? So the place we start is the place we continue. So you get in with repentance and until the day you die, you continue to repent because that's how we live the Christian life. And that's what we're going to learn today. And that's why this is a big part of the, the Lord's prayer is for us to understand. Yeah, you get saved by recognizing who you are. And yeah, you get saved by repenting of who you are. But you also live your entire life repenting of the sinner that you are. Okay, and we're going to try and get that straight this morning because I, I again I believe there's a lot of theology here that that we have messed up. So so let's look at the next question. <clears throat> Some deep stuff here. I need you guys to really help me with this. If all our sins are forgiven at salvation, why continue to repent? Isn't that something? Pastor, I thought when I got saved, I thought he took away all of my sins. If he did, why repent now? You know, I've heard a lot of smart preachers preach on this, and I've heard a lot of scholars talk about it, and there's big debates on it and everything else. And, and there are those who say, you know, all of your sins were gone, so, so repenting is kind of no biggie. And I've heard other ones say, you know, well, if you don't repent, you know, you're, you're going to go to hell, and, and, and all these different theories. About, but what does the Bible really say? Why would I come down and have all of my sins under the blood of Jesus Christ, all of my sins are gone, and then continue to repent? Do we see why we have a lot of mixed up theology? Because it seems like it really doesn't make sense, right? And so we, we need to really sort this out. But does the Bible, not only here in the Lord's Prayer, but does the Bible teach that Christians are to repent? It absolutely does. First John and, and just in multiple places, it teaches us that we are to repent after we are saved. So we need to understand why would we do that. So guys, this does not save us again. We really need to get that straight. Now, <laughs> I will try to be straightforward. I want you guys to understand this. God help me. I want you guys to understand this. If you sin after you are saved, and we all do, am I right? We all sin after we're saved, and you come and repent of your sin, you don't get saved again. Can I please get an amen? amen. And I think most of us here understand that, but here's some, here's, some, here's some twisted things that I have heard, and guys, you just can't have it both ways. I've heard people say this, and, and, I, and I hear people say things, and I think you just got to think about what you're saying because it does not make sense. I've heard people say this, well, you can only get saved once, but if you get saved and then you sin and you don't repent, you're going to go to hell. So you got to repent so you don't go to hell. Can I tell you what that is? That's getting saved again because I was going to hell, and now I don't have to go to hell because I came and got repented. See, you can't have it both ways. You can't say it's all about grace, but if you don't repent, you're not going to go to heaven. Does that make sense to base that for me? That you can't, it won't work both ways. You can't have it both ways. So it isn't that if I don't do this, I will go to hell. And if you believe, this is so very, very important. This is so very important, guys. 
I, I, right here, stop. How many of you think it's important whether or not we go to hell? I'm glad I got an amen on that. All right, it's kind of a big deal, right? You don't want to say, oops, we missed it. We're all in hell. Oops, we made a mistake, right? We didn't get our, didn't get our doctrine, right? But here's the big thing, guys. If, if you believe that after you are saved, if you sin and do not repent, you are going to go to hell, what happens about that one you forgot to repent about? You're on your way to hell. And I can I just tell you, that's counting on you to remember everything you've done wrong and not miss anything. And if you do, you're going to, can I tell you who you're relying on? You're relying on you. You're not relying on Jesus. Am I making sense? So we say a lot of things, but guys, we got to, what makes sense? If, if it's all about you and you making sure you remembered everything, and then, because I've lived like this, if you believe that and you really take it serious and you don't want to go to hell, you can spend 24 hours a day going crazy. Did I forget something? Is there something in my mind? Did I do something? I've laid down, I, oh Lord, did I, I, I thought I did, I repented of everything, but I can't remember. Maybe there was something I forgot. Oh God, I don't want to go to hell if I die tonight. Oh, could you please help me? remember there may have been something I forgot would you please let me and and I'm driving myself and I'm afraid to go to sleep I'm a Christian but I'm scared to death I might die and go to hell because there might have been something I forgot how many of you think that sounds like grace how many of you think that sounds like Christianity how many of you think that sounds like the the uh the uh, abundant Christian life right guys that's what we're teaching a lot of people to live like and that is not what the Bible says okay so doesn't save us again. It simply can't be all about grace and dependent on us repenting of our sins. It can't be, guys. It can't be all Jesus and all you at the same time. It can't be all grace and all you repenting. It can't be. You can say it's not about grace and it's not about Jesus. It's all about me. Okay, you can have that, but you can't have it both at the same time. Right? Does that make sense to anybody? So guys, we got to figure out who's this about. But can I tell you, Jesus Christ came to die here on this earth. He came and lived as a, as a man in a flesh and he died upon a cross to pay for all of my sins. And he said, the one requirement you have to have is to see who you are, repent of your sins and trust me to get you to heaven. And that'll get you there, guys. And so I lay my head down at night Knowing that I am saved because I trust in Jesus. Not that I had a perfect day, not that I didn't do anything wrong, not that I did that I repented of everything I did wrong, not that that God is pleased to have me, but that my trust is in Jesus Christ. Now, please don't get weary at me, but but I really think we need to understand because there's still a whole bunch of people here in our church that don't have this straightened out. Now, guys, please tune in. Please listen to me. If it's all about Jesus and you're trusting in Jesus, then you don't need to come to me and say, I don't know if I've been good enough to make it. Is somebody with me? Because I still hear that all the time. I'm not sure I'm good enough to go. You're not good enough to go. I just tell you right now, you're not good enough. You're not good enough, right? I don't know if I did enough to be a Christian. I don't know if I did enough to get to go to heaven. Can I tell you, you didn't. So why don't you trust Jesus and not you? Guys, that's how we get to heaven. And that will bring peace and joy and love and contentment and all things we're supposed to have. And the other thing will bring grief and sorrow and misery 
and discontent. And can I tell you another thing? The other thing, it might sound really righteous to think that you're just going to live so holy to please God. But you know what you're going to spend your entire life doing? Thinking about you. And you're never going to think about getting somebody else to heaven because I'm just afraid I'm not going to get myself there. <laughs> Are you guys with me? Guys, it's all about Jesus or, or, or it's not going to work. So, can, but, but, so, so why would we, if it doesn't save us and it doesn't get us to go to heaven, and if, it, if that's not what it's about, why in the world, and if all my sins are saved under the blood of Jesus, and if I'm counting on him, why in the world would he tell me to keep on repenting even after I get saved if my sins are already forgiven? Now, can we just stop right there and understand that's a complex question. If all my sins are gone and we sing those songs, why do I have to go say, forgive me of my sins? That makes sense. I think some great theological thinkers down through the years have tried to wrestle with that question. So, so your uh, inadequate pastor is going to try and uh, deal with that this morning. But what about this idea? Continual repenting keeps us humble and prevents self-righteousness. Does that make sense to anybody? If you, as a born-again Christian today, you've been saved for six months, you've been saved for 50 years, if you will take an honest look in the mirror, you're going to say, I don't deserve to go to heaven. Can I get an amen? Amen. I don't deserve to go. I am not good enough to go to heaven. I have not lived righteous enough. There's still enough in my life to keep me out of heaven. And if you really understood that and you begin to say, oh, God, forgive me of my sins that I sin against you. It will remind you you're really not that good. Now, will you guys tune in with the right there? Look look right here. Will you guys look, look at me? Are we lacking that in the church? Because here's what we have in the church, and I think the devil's laughing all the way to the bank, as they say. We have two types of people in almost every church, and at Sand Hill we have two types of people. And, and I see very few people that aren't in one of these categories. We have those, woe is me, I'm rotten, I don't deserve to go to heaven, I don't think I'm going to make it, because they're not trusting in Jesus. And we have those who are trusting in Jesus, who never look in the mirror, and they're just, I'm so self-righteous, and I'm so good, and I don't need Jesus. They've done for God, because they're trusting Him, they forgot all about how rotten they are. Can I tell you, both those kind of Christians are not what God came to, say, to bring us to. He wants us to be people who recognize, I'm still no good, but I got Jesus. I still deserve hell today, but I got Jesus. I've been saved for a long time, because I've been saved for 46 years. I'm only 23. I don't know how that happened, but I've been saved for 46 years. And after 46 years of studying my Bible and trying to be what God wants me, I am still a rotten mess. And guys, I need Jesus today. I need Jesus today. Adrian Rogers, I believe one of the greatest preachers in our our country, probably one of the greatest in, in the last century, he said this, I wouldn't want to count on the best five minutes I've ever lived in my life to get to heaven. Do you guys get that? Take all of your 46 years and the best five minutes when you were thought you were in the perfect will of God, if you're counting on that to get you to heaven, you're going to hell. Do you guys get this? 
So it's, it's, it's got to be about him. And if we continually recognize it's about him and we continually recognize we're not good, then we will stay humble and we will not have self-righteousness. <clears throat> continual repentance brings uh, sanctification. It, it continually brings sanctification because we're looking in the mirror and seeing where we need to change. <clears throat> you are looking in the mirror every day saying, forgive me with my lips won't work. So you hear this message and you've been saved a long time and you come to church and you read your Bible and you pay your tithes and you hear this message. You say, okay, pastor says I need to repent. So Monday morning I'm going to say, Lord, would you forgive me? Guys, that doesn't work. It's an honest look in the mirror to say, I'm still not what I should be. Are you guys with me? It's that honest look of, of God, I'm not what I need to be. Now, this is important. We need to, uh, when we will repent after we get saved, it maintains the wonder of grace. It breaks my heart, but I see this too often when we sing Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. When would this be over? When we sing, there is a fountain filled with blood flows from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunge beneath the blood lose all their guilt and shame. Oh, that's so boring. When we sing about the amazing grace of God and all of the things of our forgiving us of our sins, Christians are bored stiff because it was so long ago they forgot how precious it was. I've noticed something, this may offend some of you, but I've noticed something about um, contemporary music. Has anybody noticed there's an awful lot of contemporary music? And you know what they're singing about? How bad they were, and Jesus came and got them. I mean, that's what most all the songs are about. And you know what I'm thinking? And a lot of you say, well, they don't look like Christians. They don't dress like Christians. They don't, they don't look like a Baptist. They're not, they're not all clean cut and everything else. But can I tell you what? They remember that they're rotten. And they remember they need Jesus. And some of us cleaned up sanctified people have forgot we need grace. Guys, we need grace today. We need grace right now. And we lose our focus on how precious it is. Can I just tell you, if you've been saved for 46 years or 56 years or 113 years, when they sing Amazing Grace, you ought to still say, I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. God made a change. And I beg God that I never get used to that. And guys, when we get used to being saved, when we get used to being forgiven, we're in a very dangerous place. And I, as I studied this out and as I read this, I thought, Lord, it's no wonder you put this in here for our daily prayer, for a whole entire category, compartment, part of the outline, whatever you want to say, part of the plan to get down and recognize, I need grace. I need forgiveness. I, I need Jesus every day. So number three, what happens if a genuine Christian stops repenting? 
So we're not talking about a false professor. We're not talking about someone who says they're saved. Someone who genuinely, earnestly gets saved. Their sins are under the blood. They, they did it exactly right and they got saved. Maybe they came in, they really recognized how rotten they were and they prayed a prayer and they genuinely got saved. And after that, they quit repenting. I think that is an important question. What happens if you quit repenting? So remember, it's where we start. uh, uh, Where we start is where we continue, right? That's that's what we got to do. We got to continue doing this. So what happens? So here's what happens, guys. Pride and self-righteousness take over. Don't we see this all the time? People who are really saved are so full of themselves and they're obviously not repenting. You can't act that arrogant and repent. Is anybody with me? You can't be that full of yourself and be looking in the mirror asking God to forgive you. So Jesus said you need to repent daily so you don't get full of pride and self-righteousness and arrogance. I've preached this so many times. Me and Renee have spent hours and hours and hours. And I know you guys are sick of hearing me say this. But guys, they simply can't see their sin. Is there anybody at the Sand Hill Church that is quite obvious they don't see their sin? Do you like this? Yes. Could it be it's because they quit repenting? They're, Renee asked me all the time, Gary, you preach that right to their face and they agree with everything you say and then they keep on doing it. I know. And Gary, they, 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 that is wrong. That is sin. Why do they can't see themselves? And guys, it's a scary place when you can just continually sin and you don't even know you're doing anything wrong. Is anybody with me? Guys, this is serious. We have people who call themselves Christians, who I believe are Christians, who have stopped repenting and they just can't see their sin. And I've struggled with this forever and I've preached on this over and over and over again. But could it be the answer to our problems is if you can't see your sin, you need to start repenting and you'd be able to see where you're wrong. I think it would change a lot of things, guys. This might sound a little bit Harsh, but I believe it to be true. When a genuine Christian stops repenting, they get a hard heart. They get a hard heart. Listen, guys, preaching doesn't move them anymore. You can preach the bark off a tree. You can go up one side of their life and down the other. They'll amen you. They'll sit there content as they can be and go out and eat lunch and never think one thing about it. It has no. Have we seen that? Have we seen that in church? It just has absolute. You know why? They stopped repenting. They've convinced themselves, I have arrived and I don't need anything more. I, their preaching has no effect on them. They haven't changed in years. Listen, guys, this is so very important. I, I feel like I could preach a sermon on each one of these points, but let, let me tell you this. This is so very important. If you've been saved, if you've been saved for three years, if you've been saved for one year, and you say, nothing's really changing, you better stop. And take a look in the mirror. If you've been saved for 20 years, 10 years, 30 years, whatever the case may be, and you can say, you know what, nothing's really changed in the last 10 years. Guys, we better stop. We better look, we better stop and see there's something wrong. It is a continual change. I I just told you I've been saved for 46 years, and God still continuously shows me where I need to change because I am still so sinful. And I am on a continual basis looking at myself and saying, God, how do you even keep me around and trying to change? 
When you lose that, and we've seen Christians for 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, nothing has changed. They quit drinking, they quit smoking, they quit committing adultery, they don't look at pornography, and they go to church. That's all I need. And I don't need any more than that. And until I quit do one of those, I don't need to change anything. Guys, do we see how that does not line up with the Bible? Doesn't line up with the Bible, guys. So we, we need to repent to remind ourselves of, of how bad we are. <clears throat> I, I wrote this. Maybe this is a little bit uh, sarcasm on my side. I got my ticket, and that's all I need. Have we seen that attitude? <laughs> I got my fire insurance, and I don't need anything else. I quit doing the big sins. Leave me alone. I don't want to change. I don't want to move up. I don't want to repent. I just want my get out of hell free card. And you might make it to heaven, but you are not pleasing to the Lord. Can I just say that? You might make it to heaven, but you're not pleasing to the Lord. Now, big, bold, plain, and straight, we become hypocrites. Anybody here want to be a hypocrite? Anybody here want to be a hypocrite? What is a hypocrite? Someone who outwardly looks good and inwardly they are rotten. Guys, without repenting, you're going to decay on the inside. You might be all shined up and religious on the outside, but on the inside, you're going to be rotten. And the way you keep from rotting on the inside is to repent. Okay? Will not forget... Well, not so. So we go now from uh, Lord, forgive us our debts. So we're asking God to forgive us our debts. Let me let me throw one thing in here real quick. Well, let me read the point and I'll, and I'll show you in the verse. So now the next thing we go to is as we forgive our debtors. So will not forgiving others cause us to lose our salvation? So I'm saved. My sins are gone. But Bessie makes me mad. I won't forgive Bessie. So does that mean now I no longer am saved? Because that's really what that verse says. Isn't that what that verse says? It sure sounds like that's what that verse says. And again, this has been debated by a lot of people. A lot of scholars aren't looked up. But some interesting things. Again, I know you guys don't care about the Greek, but let me just give you just a little bit here. Very, very interesting to me. I thought this was so profound. You completely miss it in the English translations. But here's what, here's what in the Greek what you have. Verse number 12. Look at it with me. Verse number 12. And forgive us our debts. In the Greek, that is in the past tense. It's already happened. And then it says, as we forgive our debtors. That is in the, the, the continual now tense of the verb. So one is saying it's already been done. Not asking that it happened now, but it's already been done in the past. And it's over. And the other one is saying it's ongoing right now and continues to be. Do you guys see that? Now you read your text, you say, because you read it and say, well, that says right there, if I don't forgive other people, I'm going to die and go to hell. It's really not what it says. It's what it sounds like it says in the English translation. So let's look at this. You're a genuine Christian, but you won't forgive other people of their sins. So you lose your salvation. So here's a real important thing. This would contradict other scriptures. So the Bible says we're saved by, by, uh, by faith through grace, right? The Bible says being therefore justified by grace. The Bible has all these scriptures that say it's just about, it's not of works, it's only by grace, it's only by faith, it's by the blood of Jesus. The Bible, there's a whole bunch of scriptures that say that. And then there's this one here that says if you don't forgive others, 
or forgive us our debts as we forgive others. So if that means at that point, you, now you have two scriptures contradicting each other. Do we see that's a problem? That won't work, guys. So we got to figure out. So, so all of those other scriptures, maybe they are wrong and we need to figure out why we lose our salvation here. Or we look at this and say, maybe this isn't what it means, but it contradicts scripture. So it can't be both ways. <clears throat> so here's the answer. Forgiving others does not earn salvation. It is evidence of it. Now, how many of you know, if we go, if you go down to Walmart today, if you go out to the workplace, if you go down to the bar, go to your house, your family, how many of you know that sons of Adam are not a forgiving bunch? We, we just don't like to forgive, Right. We're not a forgiving people. So by and large, all of Adam's family, all of the human race do not forgive other people. So when we as Christians come along and start forgiving other people, we begin to show evidence that we're different from everybody else. So it's not earning our salvation. That would be works. Guys, uh, uh, forgiving other people is a work. That would be work salvation, which the Bible clearly does not teach, but it is showing that we have salvations. And this is what Christians do. It's the feeling of being in the family. Okay? So, so hold on to that thought. Let's go on to the next question. <clears throat> this is so very important. Please tune in for this. This is so important. A lot of you really need to hear this. Why is it easy to forgive others for those who are close to God? Say, Pastor, I just have a real hard time forgiving other people. I just have a real, you won't believe what they did to me. You don't understand how bad they've been. I I just can't forgive. I've had Christians say, oh, I just can't forgive them what they did. I, I just can't forgive them. You know what that tells me? If I could be real blunt, you're just not very close to God. Because if you was close to God, you'd realize how bad you are, and you'd lose all that self-righteousness. What do we do every time someone's holding, doing something to us that we don't like? We focus on their sins and forget all about ours. Right? You know how you can be more forgiving? When you just recognize how bad you are, then you can easily forgive them. So if we stay close to God, it'll be easy to forgive others of their sin. You will see your sin if you are close to God. When you draw close to God, your sins will become evident and it'll be easy to forgive others. Those living in real repentance now won't be critical of others. What about that? (laughs) that, Come come on, guys. If you can't say amen, say ouch. All right. Ouch. Right. Those living close to God, those who see who they really are, aren't running around pointing fingers at everybody else. The church is not as good as they are. It takes away your critical spirit when you see who you really are. But stop looking at yourself. Can I just tell you, I have seen some pretty rotten people in this church look down at all the other bad people in this church. And you want to say, why don't you look in the mirror? Right. But listen, I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're the pastor of the church. If you look in the mirror, you'd stop being so critical of other people because you recognize how how bad you are. The thief on the cross. Does anybody remember what he said? 
got one guy on one side and he's saying, Oh God, you can take care. If you're really who you say you are, you can take care of all of our problems. Get us down off this cross. Let me go steal some more stuff and have good life and just get me off this cross. And the other thief looked at him and said, listen, me and you are here because we deserve this. We got this coming. And then he looked over at Jesus and he said, I don't deserve it. I don't have it coming, Lord, but you, would you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And Jesus said, that's all it takes. <laughs> you see who you are. You see who I am. You can go to heaven. And that's it, guys. And the other guy died on the cross, went to hell, and was focused on himself and why someone else wasn't helping him out. He was literally saying to the Son of God, I, would you get me out of this jam? I deserve it. <laughs> was that not what he was saying? <laughs> I mean, the guy has killed people, and he's been a criminal all of his life, and a rotten scoundrel, and proven guilty in a court of law, and he's being uh, receiving capital punishment, and he's hanging there saying, Jesus, I, you know, I really deserve better than this. <laughs> Guys, we can laugh about that, but that's how we are sometimes in church. We're not good and we're, we're complaining because God's not giving us everything we want. <clears throat> Here's what I wrote in my notes. You might want to jot this down because I thought this was pretty, uh, pretty good. Uh, beggars don't condemn beggars. I like that. <laughs> beggars don't condemn beggars. If I, if I see who I am, I, I'm not going to be so quick to judge others. <clears throat> real quick, real quick, a uh, little, little uh, parentheses here. Just real quick, while we're talking about forgiving others, does that include your spouse? Does that include your spouse? See, here's a strange thing. I wouldn't treat I wouldn't treat Sister Wilma a certain way because she's my sister in the Lord. I wouldn't treat Jenny a certain way because she's my sister in the Lord. But now Renee, I'd be mean to her. That's my wife. Guys, that's not what the Bible says. She is a son or a daughter of the king, right? She's a daughter of the king. And I am a son of the king, right? And we ought to treat each other that way. So when it comes to forgiving others, that doesn't go away when it's in, what's in, when it's in the uh, marriage. Well, I, they really, she really hurt me. She said some really horrible things. She really hurt me. He yelled at me and he really hurt my feelings. Or he never does what he's supposed to do. Or she's just all, and, and we have all these things. Listen, guys, look in the mirror. I've done a lot of my marriage counseling. And I can say this with authority, and I think anybody else who's ever done my marriage counseling can say this. I have never, ever, ever had a couple come into my office for marriage counseling where it was 100% one person's fault and the other person was completely innocent. Guys, that doesn't happen. It's always both of your faults. Always. It might be 75, 25, but it's always one person's. Listen, you, you can't say to your spouse, well, she hurt my feelings, but I'm always perfect. Look in the mirror. You can't say he yelled at me and he's mean to me. Look in the mirror. Do you always a perfect wife? When we see ourselves, and when I go in marriage counseling, here's what I always hear. The wife always has this long list of things that he did wrong. Never says anything about herself. It's always what he did. And then he always has a long list of, well, she does this and this and this and this. Guys, look in the mirror. If you're a perfect husband, a perfect wife, and you've never done one thing wrong, then you can do that. But if not, you need to say, you know, Renee is not a perfect wife, but I'm not a perfect husband. And I can find things to fault her for, but if I'm really honest, look in the mirror, I think, oh gosh, I do some pretty bad things to her too. And then we're two beggars 
having a little compassion on one another. And that's called marriage, guys. All right? Parentheses over. <clears throat> All right. All right. If you're laughing, you're not sleeping, right? <clears throat> All right. <clears throat> How do we, this is, I think this is the hang up for a lot of you, and I really want to hit this hard, and we'll, we'll try to get through this. How do we forgive forgive and not approve well pastor if we don't if we don't cold shoulder them and be rude to them and get in their face and be ugly well they're just going to get by with sin guys where does it say that in the bible where does it say that in the bible right and if i if i forgive them then i'm not being righteous well i think jesus said a little something about uh uh if you do that you make yourself a judge (laughs) okay Guys, you're not the one in charge here, right? So let's look at who is in charge. The Bible judges sin. Can I get an amen? Amen. The Bible's not vague. It's not, don't really understand it. It's very clear. This is sin. This is wrong. Christians do not do this. The Bible's very clear. We're going to preach the Bible. We're going to have, we're going to have preaching that, that explains what the Bible says. And, and if we are doing our job right, continually explaining the Word of God, if you are sitting in our church hearing the Word of God, you will be convicted. And guys, listen, if we have a Christian sitting in our midst who is hearing the word of God preached and it is not getting through to them, do you really think your cold shoulder is going to do the job? Are you guys getting this? It's not our job to, to convict, to condemn others. It's our job to stand on the word of God. So how do we condemn, how do we not, how do we forgive them and not approve? We let the word of God condemn them. So if the Bible judges them, uh, we, we will, if we, if the Bible judges sin, then we will judge, uh, with the Bible. So the Bible, once it is preached in a church and we have consistent preaching on the word of God, we have established what is right and what is wrong. Listen, guys, we have established around here what the Bible says we're supposed to be. It's established. We have preached this is sin. If you're coming here and you're not doing that, then the Bible says you are wrong. Right? And if the Holy Spirit can't get that through to you, then my not being nice to you is not going to help. Amen? The Bible doesn't need your help. You might should write that down. The Bible doesn't need your help, okay? If the Bible won't do it, uh, your help is not going to change things. We also apply the Bible to our lives. So it's great to say Gary preached on that and they're not living up to it. But are you living up to everything Gary preached? That's being preached from this pulpit. Are you living up to what the Word of God says? And guys, that's a question. So you, you can't harshly judge others and then look in the mirror and say, well, you know what, there's a whole lot of stuff I don't do either. Am, am I making sense to anybody? Is, is this making sense? Guys, we gotta, we got to evaluate ourselves and the Word of God judges us. <clears throat> Last question. What ha- and this is important, guys. You really need to tune into this. What happens to a real Christian who, d- who does not forgive others? So you're genuinely saved, but you're holding a grudge. Have we ever seen Christians holding a grudge? Have we? That's a funny question, guys. That, that's, that's a joke, all right? Have we ever seen Christians holding a grudge? Amen. Is that commonplace? Amen. Now, it's not right, but it's commonplace. 
Okay? So we have Christians who are holding a grudge. Now it says here, forgive us as we forgive our, uh, others their debts. So what happens when this real Christian does not forgive others? <clears throat> so first let's look real quick. I don't think this is in your notes. I, but let, let's just make sure we get this. What is forgiving others? Is forgiving others. So Bessie, I forgive you for how rotten and bad you've been to me. And I forgive you. I come and tell you I forgive you. But I'm going to tell everybody else in church how rotten you are. Did I forgive Bessie? No. no. And I hear that. Oh, I forgive him. But then you're still running him down everywhere you go. Guys, that's not forgiveness. Okay? Is forgiveness, uh, um, I'm, I'm going to tell Bessie I forgive her, but then I'm going to make sure I'm rude to her every time I'm around her. That's not forgiveness, guys. And lastly, some of you need to hear this. Forgiveness is not I forgive them, but I'm going to lay awake at night or sit in my chair thinking about how rotten they are. Guys, that's not forgiveness. <laughs> forgiveness is you forget about it. You let it go. You're done with it, right? And dare I segue backwards, that applies to your spouse, right? <laughs> I forgive you, honey. I'm going to sit here and brew on it until the next time I need to bring it up, right? All right, guys, we're going to forgive them, all right? All right. <clears throat> Those Christians who won't forgive others, they can't see their own sin. And we've already covered that, but guys, that is so important. When you decide you won't forgive other people, you just get cold hearted and you can't see your own sin. And, 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 I know there's a lot of confusion in this. I don't have time to, to preach this. But is that not the very definition of backsliding? When you get to the place that the preaching has no effect on you and you can't see your own sin, guys, that's backsliding. That, that, that is backsliding. And so that's what happens when you won't forgive other people. <clears throat> God's process breaks down. So we have this beautiful process here of God saying, if you would remember that you are a sinner after you are saved, you continue to ask for forgiveness and keep your eyes on how great grace is. And then you'd forgive other people of their debts. This beautiful thing would keep, would keep grace alive in you and would bring you joy and would bring you peace and bring you happiness. And this whole program that I have would work so beautifully. But when you stop forgiving others, it breaks the process. And now you don't see how great grace is. And now you don't see your own sin. And now you don't have joy and peace and love and, and all those things. Now you have misery. Have we ever seen Christians, and it's their business whether they're Christian or not, but have we ever seen Christians who were absolutely miserable and made everybody else miserable because they wouldn't forgive somebody else in the church? Guys, there's your answer. Bible doesn't say they're going to hell. Bible said they're going to be miserable and I just want to ask this question. If you make it to heaven, I, I keep picking on Bessie, but I'm allowed to. If I hate Bessie and I hated her for the last 30 years and I by some chance make it to heaven, how do you think it's going to be standing before Jesus explaining to him that whole thing? For 30 years, I wouldn't speak to her. For 30 years, I hated her guts. For 30 years, I told everybody how bad she was. But hi, Jesus, good to see you. You think he's going to say, great job, Gary. You did good. Guys, that's something to think about, right? So, we need to forgive others if we don't want to fall into this situation. <clears throat> I want you guys to read with me. I see you put your notes away. Get them back out, please. I want you to read this with me because I thought this was profound. It's, a, it's out of a commentary. Um, but I thought this really describes these verses that we just, that we just tried to explain to you guys. <clears throat> you say, Pastor, you should have just read that paragraph. We could have went home right after that and we wouldn't have heard all that right. <laughs> okay. That probably would have done a better job. One does not gain forgiveness by forgiving. 
but a person evidences his or her forgiveness by forgiving others. Does that make sense to anybody? Since this is a family forgiveness, our sense of forgiveness is denied us when we deny forgiveness to others. You don't have that feeling of being a forgiven person because you won't forgive other people. As God's children, we are commanded to be forgiving. When we fail to forgive, we reap the consequences of spiritual and moral defeat. I think that's pretty awesome. Now, <clears throat> I'm going to let you stand. I, I want to look at the looks on your faces. I'm not done preaching yet. Well, I'm done preaching. I've just got something else I want to give you. All right. <clears throat> and, and, and this may go down like a lead balloon. <clears throat> we'll have the, we'll have the uh, altar call here in a second. Okay. We're trying to learn how to pray. Okay. We're trying. To, I, I'm trying to learn how to pray. Okay. We need to learn how to pray. We need to pray first. Okay? There's a lot going on at Sand Hill Church. Amen? There's, come on, guys. There's a lot going on at Sand Hill Church. Do we need God? Guys, listen. You can't depend on man. You can't depend on your pastor. You can't depend on anybody else. We need God. We need the Holy Spirit to come take control. And that's been my prayer daily. God, come take control of our church. Just take control of everything we're doing and do something great in our church. We pray that this message has stirred your soul as you continue on for Christ. If you've been blessed by this sermon, we encourage you to share this podcast with others that we made together and embolden each other for the kingdom cause. To listen to Sandhill Sermons live, you can join us Sundays at 11 o'clock on Facebook and YouTube. You can also find additional content such as our Steadfast Studies podcast or the NOYC Godcast for Youth provided by Sandhill for spiritual growth of all ages. These can be found at sandhillfwb.com or on all major podcast platforms. May God continue to richly bless your journey every step of the way.